there, and welcome back to another bonus episode of the Clarity Podcast. I'm looking forward to this. This time, we'll sit down today with um, Dick Foth and Mark Batterson, and um, just a great time. It's always great to have have Dick um, back with us on the podcast. And before I get into the interview um, about with Mark, but I just wanted to mention, works. I'm really excited about a new segment that we're going to start having on the podcast called the Back Channel with Foth. The Back Channel with Foth, and this will give the the audience or listeners the opportunity to email questions to me. I'll include my um, email in the show notes. And so you can email questions to me that would fall along the the Africa House growth culture um, capacities or competencies. And so that would be personal health, family health, um, building teams, caring for people, um, questions on missiology. You could send in questions on self-leadership, leadership maturity, and uh, leadership intelligence. And so if you have any questions, send them to me. We won't be able to answer them all, but we will um, curate those questions, put them together, and then try to make sure that the questions do correspond to the um, the other interview that will follow um, the time, the back channel with both. So I'm looking forward to that. I think it'll be a great addition to the podcast. And so so please send your questions in. Looking forward to our time today with, with Mark um, Batterson. You know that he is a, a very well-known writer and author, pastor of National Community Church in Washington, D.C. So he's in the middle of uh, this situation of this COVID and the politics and everything that's going on. And Mark will give us some great insight on how we can find courage in difficult times where it seems that the the coward and the courageous uh, look very similar. Um, We'll also have some conversations about prayer and how we can grow in our prayer life in in these difficult times. And um, just a great conversation with Mark. Appreciated him taking his time to be with us today and to encourage us. So there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, it's great to be here today with um, our friend Dick Foth, who's now becoming a co-host on the Clarity Podcast. He's been with us quite a few times, and uh, he's sharing another one of his uh, friends with us today, and his friend Mark Batterson. Dick, I'm going to turn it over to you, and we'll, we'll go from there. Okay. Hi, Mark. Hi, Dick. <laughs> this, is, this is Colorado talking to Washington, D.C., and... Uh, we're, we're just going to sort of create a context for this conversation, and I'll start it this way. You and I met in Washington, D.C. Uh, 26 years ago now, 1994-ish in, in there, and, uh, and became friends. Even though I'm old enough to be your father, I have kids that are older than you are. Uh, we have, we've been given, by the grace of God, this unique chemistry, and then we got to hang out for 50, your first 15 years in DC or 14. And uh, so in, in, in thinking about that and in thinking about what you've learned and what shaped you, I'm gonna jump right into one of the books that you wrote. And I've told people this a lot of times. First time Mark said to me, you know, I think I'm supposed to be a writer. In my head, I said, yeah, sure. You know, everybody wants to be a writer. And what do you know? You've actually written <laughs> like a couple. How many books altogether have you written, Mark? Now? Well, 18 books. 19? 18. 18? 18, but 19. Who's but you're a prophet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that as 19 <laughs> is around the corner. There you go. But, but 
One of the books that has uh, sort of captured Aaron's attention, I think, is uh, Chase the Lion, which is a sort of a metaphor for you. So what would be the two or three, just pick two or three experiences growing up that gave you the lens through which you see the world, not only as an adventurer, but as a, as a lion chaser, because I think you see that, well, I think that is a metaphor for who you are. So what two or three, just jump in and go with it. We can go to Minnesota, we can go to Green Bay, <laughs> Chicago, you just take us wherever you wanna go. Okay, well, uh, I love the question, Dick, and I'll try to answer it. Just wanna say thanks to Aaron and uh, to everybody who's listening. I, I know that there are a bunch of lion chasers. You, you don't up and move to different places all around the world to share the good news of the gospel if you aren't a lion chaser. And so uh, I'll take you all the way back, Dick, to when I was five years old. A friend came over, knocked on my door, and said, you can't ride my bike anymore. I said, why? He said, because my dad took the training wheels off. Oh, no, you didn't. Uh, listen. I marched down to his house, got on his bike, and I learned to ride a bike without training wheels like that. Because um, here's the deal. If you want me to do something, don't tell me to do it. Tell me it can't be done. You can't do the dishes. You can't take out the garbage. Listen, my wife, Laura, has learned how to motivate uh, this psyche right here. And so uh, I'm motivated by 500-pound lines. What, what is impossible? because I think that's how God gets the glory. You go after things that you can't take credit for. And so you dream some of these God-sized dreams. I think it goes back to when I was a little kid. And I think playing sports growing up is a piece of that puzzle as well. Um, you set goals and then you go after them. And, uh, and so uh, I think that's just the, the way that I'm wired. So, this has little to do that with that, but why do you like the Green Bay Packers? <laughs> well, they boy, they would have been underdogs for many, many years when I was a kid. Well, you know, we moved to Wisconsin when I was a kid, so I got a little bit of cheese in my blood. And uh, I have to say, one, one of the uh, joys of my life was, uh, has been doing a few chapels for the Green Bay Packers. And uh, that's kind of a fun deal that, uh, the Lord, through some of these books, has opened up the door to uh, have interface with a few of these professional sports teams. And uh, I think that's been one of the neat offshoots, Dick. You know, I when I told you I wanted to write, I had no idea if, if it would just be my mom buying a book, you know. Sure. But uh, uh, it's fun. Our, our mutual friend, Mark Powers, sent me an email just a few minutes ago with a picture from Rwanda and a picture of my book sitting on a picnic table in Rwanda. He said, look at, look at the ripple effect. And so um, you just never know what the Lord's going to do when you step out by faith. So when I get to come and speak at National Community Church in Washington, D.C., you've got these seven campuses, you've got the median age is 28, you've got 3,500, I don't know how many people, and over half of them are sing single i go there and it, essentially because i'm selfish and i want to recharge and so i go with the young turtle <laughs> see how that goes but the but the intensity on the one hand and the playfulness on the other hand 
are qualities that when, uh, when, intertwined, when intertwined promotes a kind of Holy Spirit energy, <laughs> seems to me, that is, that's unique. Just talk to us about that a moment, and then I'm going to toss it over to Aaron, and he can jump in and ask you really hard questions. All right. Well, then thanks for the softball. Um, (laughs) I, uh, you know, I think if you stay humble and stay hungry, there's nothing that God can't do in you or through you. And so I I think the idea is just when you operate in the spirit of humility, here's a scary thought. You can be doing the will of God and God can oppose it. Now, I know that sounds heretical, but God opposes the proud. And so if you do the right thing for the wrong reason, I mean, in God's kingdom, it doesn't even count. So I think it, it comes back to not taking yourself too seriously, but taking God seriously. And so I, I think the happiest, healthiest, holiest people on the planet are those who uh, laugh at themselves the most. They don't take themselves too seriously and recognize that God's power is made perfect in weakness. And don't, don't you love, I love people who know how to check their ego at the door. I love people who are down to earth. I love people who are holy, but they aren't holier than thou. Uh, those are the kind of people I want to hang out with. That's who Jesus was. And I think if we're being formed in his likeness, then I think that's who we're becoming. Mark, one of the, the things in, in the book, Chase the Lion, you talk about the necessity of courage and that, you know, to be a lion chaser, you have to have courage. And in these times of, of COVID, and it seems to be fear is more common now than courage. And I've just finished up reading Eric Larson's book, The Splendid in the Vile. And at the end, it, the an, uh, newspaper author says to Winston Churchill, says, listen, you have given the people in London and England courage. And Winston Churchill said, no, I didn't give them courage. I focused the courage that they already had. My job as the leader is to focus the courage that's within them. As a leader at this time and and being a lion chaser, how do we help people focus the courage that that God has, has instilled in them rather than trying to take the responsibility to put courage in them? Mm, well, I love that question, Aaron, and I love the framing, too. I Long before I felt called to ministry, when I was in high school, I actually wanted to teach history, and so I, I love history, and uh, funny, my wife is reading that very same book, the Eric Larson book that you just referenced. Um, do you remember when Churchill, he gave this speech, Never Give In, and, and you know, that gets cited all the time, Never Give In, Never Give In. But it's actually, the speech is a little bit longer than that. He said, never give in except to your convictions. Hmm. And I think that's leadership. I think it's someone that doesn't just know something with their head or even with their heart. They have these, it's in their gut. They have these core convictions. Um, And I'll I'll share a few of mine. Uh, There are ways of doing church no one's thought of yet. Uh, God's going to bless us in proportion to how we give to missions and care for the poor in our city. Church ought to be the most creative place on the planet. Church belongs in the middle of the marketplace. These aren't ideas to me. These are convictions that I'm willing to go to the mat for. And I think courage is being dialed into those convictions and saying, I'm never going to give up or give in except to these convictions. And that usually takes some courage because if you want to reach people no one's reaching, you probably have to do something that no one's doing. And that means you have to dare to be different, which to me is kind of right at the heart of what it means to be courageous. 
Yeah. And then what do you, how do you, what insight or wisdom you would have, you know, it's to focus and say, we're going to be courageous, but then fear has a way of, uh, you know, just whispering in your ear sometimes, at least it does for me. Um, and that courage that I think I have maybe on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, I might get to Friday and then I get a little nervous. How have you found yourself to be able to keep that courage and keep that focused and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you in that? Yeah, sometimes it's a whisper. Sometimes it's a yell, right, Aaron? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I think some folks know that our first attempt at church planning was a failed attempt, and we fell on our faces uh, in Chicago before we moved to D.C., and I think I, I learned two important lessons. One was unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor, labor in vain. So mm, it's got to be good. a God thing. Um, but the second thing is, that I think the cure for the fear of failure is um, not success. I think it's failure in small enough doses that you build up an immunity to it. Hmm. And you have to fail a few times to realize that God's going to pick you up, dust you off, and you're going to learn a few lessons in that process. In fact, I think success is well-managed failure. Failure is usually poorly managed success. <laughs> and so I think you, you face these fears and I, I would say, Aaron, that, you know, my self-confidence probably is on the lower end of the spectrum, but my holy confidence is off the chart. Mm. And I think that's because I've learned to really anchor myself to the promises of God. I just, I, I just stand on these promises. And so, you know, what I'll do, I mean, th these are the things that get underlined. I'll just pull up my Bible right here. I don't even know if it's in focus, but Who's Listen, if it's, if it's double underline, then that's something I'm going to stand on this. I'm going to stand on God's promise. Um, and so I think, uh, I think that's a huge, huge factor. And then, of course, perfect love casts out all fear, 1 John 4, 18. So uh, a revelation of God's love. Uh, if you fear God, you don't have to fear anything else. Isn't that wonderful? That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so I, I have this question. I'm, I'm listening to you just say these things that some people would say, well, that, that's a nugget or where to get that or how, you know, and, and I've, I've watched you. And I think I'm old enough to say this. I've watched you develop and grow over the last 26 years in both your vision and your articulation of the vision. And we all know that the best leadership is example. So that's a given, but you quoted Churchill. Churchill, in a matter of weeks, turned a nation with six speeches from fear to give it to me, Hitler, we're going to take you out. I mean, that, that's his, that was, that's what he did. So words are powerful. Otherwise, I don't think it would have said in the beginning was the word because words convey ideas and emotion. And you have this gift. It is a gift for both distilling and juxtaposing ideas in succinct ways to a soundbite generation. I mean, it's a, it's a perfect, sort of a perfect marriage, and you know that, and, but what is it, and I don't know if you know, what is it that goes on in your brain to allow that to happen? Because we're, we're speaking mostly to missionaries here who have to try to encourage and motivate with words maybe in even two or three different languages. So they don't have it easy like you have it. You've just got the English <laughs> thing and the Wisconsin thing going. But yeah. 
talk to us about how that works in your head. You don't have to take a lot of time on this. Just give me a soundbite on it. I don't, you know. Well, Dick, I mean, I, I learned the power of story from you that, uh, you know, you, you can tell a story and people then can grasp uh, that idea or that truth. And, you know, Jesus was the master of parables. Most of the parables are less than 250 words, but you hear it once, you remember it forever. And so I'm a big believer in metaphors. Um, it doesn't matter whether I'm preaching or writing a book. I want an organizing metaphor up front. So it could be from science. It could be from history. But I, I want some kind of metaphor and then uh, kind of unpack whatever that truth is. Um, yeah, but you, but you also, I'm, I'm going to push it just a little further because, you know, sometimes in a conversation, we only get a few moments. You know, it isn't like people are sitting at our feet all the time. Sometimes it's on a bus or you're at a bus stop in some country in Africa, whatever. And, and to be able to say something like, you know, one of my favorites of yours is God loves us, finds us where we least expect it and least deserve it, you know, and you capture the, the, the thrust of the good news in that. How do you get to that? Huh. Well, you may not be able to answer this question. You just say, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, someone said that good writing is bad writing, well edited. So it is this idea that, you know, when I preach, well, by the way, uh, on our online campus now, we do 25 minute messages instead of 35 minutes. And I don't know that we'll ever go back. Sure. In fact, I'm wondering if two minute messages on a daily basis are the new wineskin to be able to just kind of communicate uh, with the help of social media or digital technology. So I'm rethinking uh, a lot of that, but you know, I realize you have to say it in a way that's memorable. And so um, sometimes it's using this parallelism that you even find in, in scripture itself. So pray like it depends on God, work like it depends on you. You kind of flip the coin and it, it helps people kind of hang on to these little truths in a way that maybe makes it more memorable. I will say this. I mean, my whole thing is I want to try to say old things in new ways. And this is where I would kind of um, push the envelope with everybody that's listening because, you know, communicating the gospel is a huge challenge to begin with. But I, I, want, to, I want to turn the kaleidoscope just enough so that people think about it a little bit differently. So if I think it's juxtaposing, every ology is a branch of theology. So you kind of bring different things in. There you go uh, again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Eric. Mark, you write, you write in, in your books about contextual intelligence. And um, to me, that is, I think that follows the stream we're going on because that, that fascinates me because you're, be, you're taking different contexts, context and then having the, the ability to see down the future. You talk about two-minute messages using social media. Is that something that you've cultivated and how have you cultivated it? And then, um, and how do you help other leaders see what you're seeing? And then how can followers support their leader that has the gifting like you do of contextual intelligence? Because I think all those areas are important. One, that you have it. Can you can cultivate it? Leaders, how can, how can they support it? And then how can followers support it also? Yeah. 
Well, it was a couple of Harvard professors who wrote a book on that subject. Um, I forget the title. I think it was In, In Our Time, something like that. But this idea of contextual intelligence, I would actually trace that idea back to uh, Chronicles in the tribe of Issachar. It says they understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And so what I've been praying for leaders, Aaron, is an Issachar anointing. And I think it's prophetic in that you have supernatural insight into what's happening. Well, what, what's happening right now? Well, it goes way beyond an invisible virus that's kind of shut down economic systems and industries. No, listen, God is shaking our false sense of security. God is shaking our, fa our false illusion of control. God is shaking our idolatry. There are tectonic plates that are shifting right now, but we need a prophetic eye to see the way that God is working. And then I would say it's also practical. They knew what Israel should do. And so what we need right now, I think, are some very practical solutions to some significant problems. And let's be careful to realize that in a crisis like this, opportunity always presents itself. And uh, so what, what do I mean by that? Well, we've never had 222 people come to a physical altar after a service. They wouldn't fit. 222 people wouldn't fit at the altar. Um, at our second online service, uh, at our online campus, we had 222 people uh, hit that live prayer button and basically go to a digital altar. Well, I don't know that that would have happened in an analog context. And so I think what we want to see is how is God moving and working? Now, R.T. Kendall said, sometimes the greatest opposition to what God wants to do next comes from those who are on the cutting edge of what God did last. That is worth pondering. Yeah. Um, let's make sure that we aren't leaning too much on some old wineskins. Yeah. And then how do you deal with that friction or that tension? Because there is comfort and, and I'm, you know, and, and I'm a systems guy and, and coming from the medical world, we, we function on systems. So you do look to what's proven and worked in the past and you keep continue to refer back to that is that is the standard. How do you deal with that tension? To, do you grow comfortable with it to be able to explore and, and walk in that or, and how, how have you managed and, and walked through that? Yeah, let me share one little, one little leadership axiom, Aaron, that's been a huge help to me. Uh, there was a book written about the diffusion of innovation, and it puts people on a bell curve. And the bell curve is, I don't care if you're Moses coming down Mount Sinai with two stone tablets inscribed by the figure of God, I can pretty much guarantee there's still going to be 16% who are resistors. It's the human bell curve. And so don't get too discouraged. There are also going to be 16% who would walk off a cliff with you as a leader. And so I think you've got to realize that everybody that we lead is on this bell curve. And actually the resistors are a great gift because they force you to fine tune your vision in a way that people can begin to see it and understand it a little bit better. I don't know if that even answered your question, but it's just a thought that came to mind. It's kind of my operating system yeah, that's good. Uh, 
when I, when I uh, am in a leadership context. No, it's good stuff. Everett Rogers. I used it for a lot of my doctoral work, diffusion of innovations yes. and the, yep. it's, it's, and it's used cross-culturally. So it's, it's contextualized, uh, you know, it's not just an American type thing, but great, mm. great answer. Dick, over to you. Oh, so Mark, I get to be looking at you. I like looking at you and you're there in your office in DC and you're wearing a baseball cap, flat, a flat brimmed baseball cap. And there are four letters above the bill, and it says pray. One of the most well-received books, most bought, most read books that you have written is called The Circle Maker, which is about prayer. And, you know, when, when most 95% of all books of all genre by anybody around the world sell less than 5,000 copies, and that's well over 2 million, I don't know how many, but it's up there. Right, so there are a lot of people who have been uh, encouraged, challenged, uh, energized by that that word in that book that the Lord gave. Talk to us just a bit about prayer and its place, uh, its foundational piece in your life, and just just give us some stuff like you do. All right. <laughs> by the way, Dick, it's probably the most criticized book too. Well, I didn't. I'll let you say that. I won't. <laughs> Listen, why, I, why would I go there? You know, <laughs> I stopped reading reviews on Amazon a long time ago. <laughs> um, no, in all in all seriousness, it's funny. My verse of the year going into writing the Circle Maker was Proverbs sixteen. It's to the glory of a man to overlook an offense, and uh, I took a few shots for writing that book. Um, but, uh, you know, I think prayer, I, I learned the importance of prayer. I had a father-in-law who would, uh, literally wear out the knees on his pants. And by the way, I would say this along with prayer, he was a missionary's best friend, Bob Schmidgall, um, had a heart for missions, unlike anybody I've ever known, um, uh, in fact, my, my brother-in-law, Joel, who is uh, our executive pastor, used to joke that, uh, that he practically had to sell drugs to make money to give to missions. <laughs> I, I don't know. We might have to delete that. But um, I, I think uh, we get it. I think along with, uh, along with a huge heart for missions, he just he prayed with a certain authority and intimacy with God that profoundly impacted me. And so the bottom line is prayer is the difference between the best we can do and the best God can do. Uh, prayer is the difference between us fighting for God and God fighting for us. And I, I think uh, I'd rather have God fighting for me. And so uh, I'm wearing this hat during a 40 day prayer challenge. This is a little reminder. We're kneeling on that second Chronicles seven fourteen. um, and uh, praying that God would uh, heal our land, heal the world. And, uh, and so um, I think God won't answer 100% of the prayers that we don't pray. We have not because we ask not. And so uh, I what think... Are some, uh, what are some specific things you're praying about now, Mark? Yeah, you know, one of the things I'm praying, Aaron, is I am praying that God would flatten this COVID curve in a way that epidemiologists couldn't explain wouldn't that be wonderful um, I'm also praying that it would run its spiritual course and I think what I mean by that is um, 
I, I think the Holy Spirit is wooing us back to the to the Father that He's calling the prodigals back, and you know sometimes it takes a severe famine like the context in which the prodigal found himself, and so. I'm praying for a great homecoming that people would find their way back to God. I think that's the, that's the thing I'm praying more than anything else right now. Yeah. And what do you see in the, you know, living overseas, it's hard for us to understand the American culture. It really is. And so from somebody you're living in the heart of DC, what, what culturally, I mean, we see the news and it you may, seems like America is in fear and panic and, um, and living on the mission field, a lot of these things you become used to. We had the bubonic plague and then you had measles. We have these outbreaks. Do you see that? Is that just the uh, guy in Madagascar seeing fear and panic or is that really taking place? And what do you see the American culture going through is God, as you said, is the Holy Spirit is wooing them? Yeah, I, I've almost... I kind of turned the pledge into a prayer, Aaron. Uh, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. The reason why I've turned it into a prayer is because it's not true right now. There's tremendous racial and political division. And uh, I think exemplified by um, an incident with Ahmad Arbery here that kind of just hit front pages of the newspapers. But um, it, it's it's not pretty. Um, there is tremendous division, but I will say this, and Dick would know this better than me, but behind the scenes, there are members of Congress, there are senators, there are people from opposing political parties who are praying together. And so I do see an undercurrent. I mean, I'll just shoot straight. I'm praying for a revival, and I'm praying that that revival would even start in D.C. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? if a ripple effect of revival happened from here. And so um, I, I, uh, I think the church is called to be the one who stands in the gap and kind of brings uh, love and peace in the midst of those divisions. I think, you know, I'm listening to you, Mark, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, we, 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 we tout that we're the, the, the uh, home of the free and the land of the brave, or the land of the free and the home of the brave. And you don't want to be the land of the trapped and the home of the scared. Yeah. And, and, the, and the church, as you're suggesting, has that capacity. It isn't that you're not anxious in moments, but you don't live there. I, I loved your metaphor of the shifting tectonic plates that are, that are knocking down the, wall, the idols and the walls that have been false security. I've been in a couple of earthquakes, one really big, and everything moves in an earthquake. You find out stuff about yourself you never wanted to know. <laughs> and I think we in the church are finding out some stuff about ourselves because it's easy to have the creeping shift of where my security lies. And I, you know, I always go back personally to, the, to see Moses standing in front of that burning bush down in some place like the Kalahari, let's say, and it and it's a talking bush, and the voice says, "You tell them this is my name. I am that I am, which is the most secure name in the universe." You know, I, I always joke that it, if it were a Western god, it would have been, "I do that I do." This is I am that I am, and uh, and I think I feel you have walked out with Laura, your life and your leadership 
within Washington, D.C. in particular, and with those hundreds, those thousands of people who come through D.C. and go around the world, there, it's, it's just been a, a marvel, a joy to watch and to be a, a wee small part of. And I just, um, I'm just so grateful for you and for Laura and for the team at National Community Church and for Aaron, for you, for this, for just teeing this up, Aaron. I don't know. Nope. You, may, <clears throat> you may become the great tee up person that we know. You know? <laughs> I, I, I think I'm a long way from that. But um, if I keep good friends like you, Dick, I'll be, I'll be good because you have, all, you're the best known, you know everybody. And um, so that, that, that's severe, that greatly helps me in the process. Mark and Dick, what are some things missionaries, um, we want to pray for the American church and we want to pray for American pastors. We really do. And um, we're thankful. We're appreciative of, of churches like national community church that allow us to be on the mission field. How are some, what are some specific things that we can be praying is, is many times churches pray for missionaries. How can missionaries that are listening in, how can they specifically focus and pray for pastors and for churches in, in the United States during this uh, challenging time? Yeah, my my concern is that when this crisis is over, and and I, Aaron, you you would know a lot better than me, but I don't think we're anywhere near the end of this. I think we're going to have a few waves of this, and until there's a vaccine, I don't think anything's going to go back to normal. Um, so I don't know all that that means for the coming months. My fear is that some churches are just going to try to go back to the way it was. And I do feel like God is waking us up to something bigger um, that, that he is moving uh, outside the tent of meeting, if you will. I love this moment in Numbers 11 where Eldad and Medad are in the camp and the spirit falls on them, even though they're not at the tent of meeting. Uh, newsflash, the spirit of God can still fall on you, even if you aren't in a church building. So there's almost this inside-out thing that's happening, and uh, and I think from a weekly to a daily shift that's happening, and I think uh, may God give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And so probably, I think we need Ephesians 1, that spirit of wisdom and revelation as leaders, both in the American church and as missionaries. And so I think if we're praying that for each other, that's going to go a long way. Dick, do you have any insights on that? Yeah, just one of the things to, to hitchhike, if I may, is that um, one of the uh, pillars of NCC, and we're not just talking about NCC, but I am, and, and one of the pillars is that the church needs to be the most creative place on the planet. Oftentimes you think of church as institutional, stultified, staying, whatever, you know, but certainly not creative like Hollywood or Bollywood creative or some or Tesla or Silicon Valley. I have seen over the years, both at NCC and some other places where the creativity just bubbles up. It's like it's, it's coming out of the heart of God. And, and what this is forcing us to do is to look at creative ways, different ways. And, and Mark said, pushing the envelope. Of, of how we can be the good news and share the good news 
going forward. And it, you know, it, it's it's easy to say, well, the well, the internet is a cesspool of anonymity, you know, or whatever, because of social media. And all of a sudden, we're finding out that anonymity might, in fact, trigger 222 people coming to a virtual altar because <laughs> I can, you know, and we have to just think differently yeah. than that. So I love the quote on the Einstein statue that's just adjacent to the National Academy of Sciences across the street from the Vietnam Wall. And it, and it just, some variation on this is what Einstein said, imagination is um, greater than knowledge because imagination has no limits. Hmm. That sounds like God. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like for Pete's sake. That's okay. good stuff. Last question for you, Mark. Um, I remember it's probably been 2011, 12, you spoke and you shared that I've never considered myself a creative person, but you said people that say that are just lazy because they don't want to put the energy behind the creativity process because it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. Um, and so how do you find that energy and how do you focus that energy? It really, uh, um, if I still remember the quote, obviously it, it you know, it hit me. Um, how do you find that energy is Dick shared to be creative? And cause it takes a lot of energy and time to do that. It's easier just to, to not. Yeah. Well, a couple of quick thoughts, Aaron. And, and in context, I, I, I think all of us are creative when it comes to making excuses. <laughs> right. <laughs> so don't tell me we can't be creative. Um, That's true. But uh, there's a couple of things that help. I think creativity is uh, seeing things slightly different. It's it's, um, and, and this is where juxtaposing different disciplines. And and you're a great example of that because you have expertise in these different areas. Well. Why did we start producing trailers for our sermon series and branding our series? Well, because we were meeting in a movie theater. Why wouldn't right. we do a trailer for a series if if movies are doing it? So it's right. begging, borrowing, and stealing from different places and then um, incarnating that into uh, the message that we're trying to deliver. I will say one last thing. 90% of my creativity happens before noon. I tend to be a morning person. And so you've got to know the way that you're wired, know your circadian rhythm. Uh, but a NASA study found that a 26-minute nap increases productivity 34%. So uh, Jesus once took a nap in a boat and then uh, still they storm in its track. So yeah. I just happen to be a believer in nap time. Uh, I think a 26-minute nap, the whole world would be happier and we would be more creative. Sure. I just like to I just like to say as a 78 year old dude that I'm all over that. <laughs> <laughs> I might even add 10 minutes. There you go. I love it. A little longer one. Hey, Mark, can you pray for us and pray for the audience today? I would love to do it. Lord, thank you for everybody listening in, not by accident, but by divine appointment. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would encourage them right now that God You've got this. I, I think if we, if we watch the news, we feel overwhelmed. But we filter that news through your scripture. And your scripture tells us that you're going to build your church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And so we thank you that heaven is invading earth and that your kingdom is going to come and your will is going to be done. And so, Lord, I pray right now 
in Issachar anointing on everybody listening to this podcast. God, would you anoint their right brain and their left brain? Would you give them God ideas, help them to see solutions that no one else can see, to see the opportunities that exist in this crisis? And so, Lord, I pray that anointing. We just receive it right now in Jesus' name. Amen.